Welcome to the Mission Gathering Thornton message cast. So we had a small Bible study last year with the church, and it was me, Lauren, and Nellis and Suzanne, and I got to share some of my story then. And so when Lauren said, hey, I'm going to do a sermon series, Mental Health in the Church, and I was wondering if you'd like to speak and share your story. And my first thought was, that's terrifying. But yes, I want to share my story because I think it could help others. And then as I was leading up to this week, I was sort of harboring bitterness towards Lauren and saying, why in the world would he do this to me? I don't like him. Um, And it's been a really hard challenge the last couple of weeks. There are things in my story I'm not sharing everything. I just, I, I'm not there yet. And I have gone to my counselor and I've gone to my therapist and to my husband, Bill, and to other friends trying to piece this thing together and trying to get up the nerve to be here today. Um, my counselor, when she heard my message, she said, you managed to take out the, dark, the darkest places of your story and still manage to get your point across. So I'm just going to talk about my story, and then I'm going to tell you how the church reacted to my story. I'm going to tell you things that we could do better, things that we could do worse, or things that made it worse, and then as a church, what we could do better. So I grew up in the church. Um, my, My mom was a believer for a long time. My dad got saved when he was around 20. And so we grew up in the church. It was a small country church. It was a a community. And everything I knew about the church at that point, I pretty much loved. I mean, potlucks, you see the same people all the time. You have people that I still know that that I've known my entire life. you know, I watched their kids in the nursery, and now they're getting married and having kids. And um, so everything at that point, you know, when you're a kid and you, and you look at things, you just think this is the way things are supposed to be. It was a very conservative Christian church. Um, some would say very legalistic, um, all about the rules. But again, I just I didn't see that. I was saved at the age of four, and from a very young age, I had signs of anxiety and depression. I just didn't know it. I didn't know what it was. I knew my mom had it, but, you know, when you're that young, she hasn't really shared that much information with you, and no one else in your family or the church really talks about it. And so I remember a friend telling me when I was about five years old, there's a guy down the street that sells drugs, and you can't tell anybody. It's just a stupid little story, right? I lost sleep for about five years. I didn't tell anybody about it because I was told not to. I frequently, at that point, thought I was going to hell. Um, I had one amazing pastor um, that ended up leaving the church, but he told me, you know, 
where it says in the Bible, God will never leave you or forsake you. Um, but I, I remember I was made fun of for my weight all growing up. Um, I remember it from a young age. I was put on a diet when I was nine years old by my father, who was just trying to help, but I was nine years old. Um, I was, we ended up going to a Christian school when I moved into sixth grade, and I got made fun of by a teacher there. I got made fun of by students there. I got made fun of by the neighborhood kids. I got made fun of by um, an employee at a store when I was trying on clothes. And so, and my sister was always really thin and she was outgoing and so she always had friends, she always had people hanging around her and I felt very, I was an introvert and I felt very secluded and very alone most of the time. When I turned nine, that was a pretty rough year. Um, one of the, my friends at school, I did something that made her mad, you know, kids. I didn't play with her one day at recess, and she uh, got the whole class, the entire class, to hate me for an entire week. That year was also the year that I got run over by my school bus, and so I was out for a while from school, which didn't help. Uh, I just always felt like an outcast. So when I turned 13, I remember, I, re I remember having signs of depression when I was nine years old. I remember wondering why I slept all the time and why I was just sad all the time and why, you know, I've never said anything good about myself to myself. And so when I was 13, I ended up... Um, being suicidal, and I was cutting myself on a regular basis. And my mom, I can't remember, she either found me or she like saw the marks and took me to a counselor right away. And so I started seeing a counselor, and this is important to the story later. She was not a Christian. She was Jewish, but she had experience working with kids with depression. So I started seeing her and it took me a while to open up. I don't remember how long I saw her, but I remember seeing her for quite a while. I remember she talked about herself a lot, which probably made me feel more comfortable because I didn't have to talk. But I started seeing her. Um, at one point, I, I had met someone online and I was very manipulated, and it lasted for five, six years. And I told her some things that I had done and some things that had happened, and she said, your secret's safe with me, and then she pulled my parents in the room and told them everything. And my dad just was outraged. And it, my dad tried so hard to do the right things and say the right things, but he, I was like this goody two-shoes. I got straight A's. I didn't make any trouble. To go from that to just kind of a full-blown mess, he just didn't know what to deal with. 
he didn't know how to deal with it. And so um, he started restricting everything, you know, a few times. He said, um, why are you being so stupid? Why are you, why are you acting this way? And I honestly just didn't know. I was just, I just felt like I was a mess. Like I was so broken and I felt very frantic and paranoid and I, di- I didn't know where to turn. So my parents would always say that they didn't feel comfortable with the counselor that I was going to because she wasn't a Christian. They said it over and over and over again and I fought to stay with her because if you've ever been to counseling, you know how difficult it is to open up to somebody, let alone have to try again and open up to somebody else. It's not always a good fit and you have to lose the person that you've confided in for a while now. So I can't remember what came first. I can't remember if my parents made me counsel with the pastors at the church or if they took me. My mom was going to a counselor who was a Christian, and so I'll start there because I can't remember the details which came first. Um, I went to see her counselor, and I remember my counselor that I had seen before that had said, man, you're so vivid with your words and, and you just paint this picture and I can, I can tell what's going on in your head. So I started seeing this other counselor, my mom's counselor, and right away, I, you know, I'm trying to describe what's going on in my head and, and the darkness that I feel and how, how comfortable I feel in that darkness because other people made me so uncomfortable but, and other people would tear me down. But if I stayed in the darkness... And I, st- I still struggle with this. If I stay in the darkness, if I just continually beat myself up and say negative things about myself, then no one else can hurt me, which is kind of a messed up way of thinking, but that's just where I go. And so I started being vivid and sharing with her, and she kept interrupting me and going, I don't know what you're saying. Brianna, you're not making any sense. Stop. Stop right there. I Stop. I don't know what you're saying. And I ended up running from the room crying. My mom is very non-confrontational, and I just ran past them, and I remember yelling something like, she's awful. I'm not seeing her anymore. And I ran out to the car, and my mom just stands there, and she goes, <laughs> okay. <laughs> like, I don't know what to, where to go from here. Um, So my parents started looking for me counseling with the pastors at our church. So at that time, we had two pastors. We had a preaching pastor, and we had a youth pastor. Well, it was a very small church, and we had just gotten a youth pastor, and we were pretty excited to have a youth pastor. And he immediately started working with the high schoolers. And I was in middle school, and he just kept working with the middle schoolers, kept working with the or high schoolers. And at one point, I approached him, and I said, when are you going to start working with the middle schoolers? And he just looked at me, and he goes, they're just not a priority. Which, you know how people say things, and they, they don't mean them that way, but to someone who takes everything as a, something that beats you down. It just was an awful feeling. 
So at some point, I started counseling with the youth pastor, and I started counseling with the preaching pastor. And this is where the church, what I believed in and what I thought of the church just kind of started to crumble. So they felt very uncomfortable with the fact that not only was I a woman, but I was a middle school, high schooler at that point. So they left their doors open when we counseled so everyone could hear. And they were very awkward and uncomfortable because they didn't know what to do. And I needed, I needed a lot of help at that point. And so anyone that gave me any sort of, hey, I'm going to help you, I just kind of latched onto them and, and started telling them everything. And I soon realized these people can't handle it. <laughs> like they can't, if I start telling them that I've had feelings of suicide, that I've been cutting myself, that I feel like I need to be punished for who I am as a person, that I can't, I go to school and I sit by my locker and I just shake and sob. That every time I go to church, for some reason, I can't stop crying. They just didn't know what to do with any of it. And so they got really awkward and uncomfortable and just, you know, the church that I went to was very big on women don't preach. Women teach women, men teach men. So once you hit high school, we were taught by the women. We learned Proverbs 31 and we learned, you know, um, we memorized them at all of those verses about how women you do your job as a wife and and the men were taught what they were taught but you you don't intermix the two and so the pastors at least the youth pastor when he started counseling with me he got really uncomfortable and he said you need to counsel with my wife like i can't counsel you anymore you need to counsel with my wife so i'm going on like my fourth or fifth counselor and it's all going awful and now I'm paired with somebody that I barely even know because they're new to the church and I, I think I met with her once and I was just like I'm done I'm done and I stopped seeing counselors for a long time because it hurt more to see a counselor to be exposed and to be torn apart for the things that that you're feeling than to just keep them inside. And so I just kept them inside. And at one point, you know, it was the type of church that church would let out, like I told Lauren, like 45 minutes late. And, you know, you would kind of usher out the front and shake hands with the pastors and everything. And I said something, this was the preaching pastor, and I said something about like, counseling or how do you feel about what I said or blah 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 He's super awkward and uncomfortable and he just looks at me and my parents and he says I don't think you have depression at all I think you're just going through a growing up phase and you just need to get over it basically at this point in time my dad was also an elder of the church and there's a lot of things that happened at this point um, my dad was struggling with what to do with me. 
my sister started acting out. He just kind of, he was overprotective our whole lives, and now he didn't know how to control us, and it was kind of a mess. And so I told the pastors something, um, and they went to my dad, and they said, you obviously can't control your family. You can't be an elder. And so my dad encouraged me. My dad's big on letters. Like, he writes me letters of apology all the time. And he writes me letters, or he always says, write letters and write your feelings out. You don't have to send the letter. Just write it out. It'll help you. So I wrote a letter to the elders, and I wrote a letter to the youth pastor, and I wrote a letter to the preaching pastor saying how I felt, saying, you're saying that I'm just going through a growing up phase. You don't know how I feel inside. You don't know, like, why am I so different from everyone else if I'm just going through a growing up phase? Why, why do I feel this awful? Does everyone feel this awful when they're this age? I don't, I don't understand. And now you're kind of stepping on the feelings that I've had, and they're deep, intense feelings, and you're just saying they don't matter. Get over it. So I wrote these letters, and it took a long time for the church to respond at all. And I was a nervous wreck. And then I finally got letters back. And they put everything that I had ever said in quotes. You're saying that you have depression. You're saying that you feel sad. We are saying that you need to counsel with a woman. You need to... I can't remember all of these letters, which is, is funny because I actually kept these letters for about 20 years, and I just got rid of them a few years ago because I would sit and I would cry over them, and I didn't know how to get rid of them because I felt like the things they had said were true. So they said all these things, and we decided to leave the church. We went to another church. At that point, I... I just continued to bottle everything up. When, um, when Bill and I started dating, I was 17, and it took me, we've been together for 16 years, and it took me a long time to share things with him and to be open, and I, got, I finally got prayed over at church, and I'm not, you know, this isn't a fairy tale story. I'm not going to say it ended happily ever after because it didn't. And if anyone knows us at all, they know that the last couple of years have been really, really hard with our son's medical issues and being in the hospital and being in the NICU and everything has just been intense and it's been hard and it's brought up more panic attacks for me. I'm seeing a counselor now. I'm um, working through these things that replay in my mind as if they were yesterday. When I started writing the sermon for today, I was like, I don't even have to, I don't even have to think about what happened because it's right there. I live it every single day as if it were yesterday, and it was 20 years ago. So I just, I want to talk about, because I didn't want to have this super sad story and be like, like, here's my emotional vomit, the end. <laughs> um, so I wanted to, to just kind of 
show you what helped me in the church, what made it worse in the church, and, and what we as a community could do better. So what helped me? I got prayed over. It was really hard. We were going to a church that did altar calls as if they were candy. Like we did altar calls every single week and you always felt kind of guilty for not doing the altar call. Um, Funny story, one time Bill and I missed turning our clocks either back or forward and got there as the service was ending and the, the second service was beginning. And we saw the altar call and we're like, well, now that we know they're having one, <laughs> you want to go up? Um, but anyway, they did altar calls all the time. Well, I was still going to church and I was still crying every week and I didn't know why. And I told Bill, I'm like, I'm going to go up. And I just started crying and a lady prayed over me and I felt God's presence and... It was an amazing experience, and I actually did fairly well for like four or five years after that, and I attribute it to that altar call to being prayed over. Talking to someone I could trust. Other than Bill, this only started happening in like the last six months. So after Liam was hospitalized and he came home, I started having panic attacks when I would go to the hospital with him. I started having panic attacks about my past and everything. I just couldn't function. And so I started seeing someone. And thank God, the first person that I started seeing was amazing. Um, And I didn't have to share my story with all of Thornton before I found somebody like I'm doing right now. Um, And so I I found her, and I still see her. And and she's amazing. Um, And she's not a Christian, and I don't care (laughs) because she's really good at what she does. And I've also found some friends just in the last month or two that I've been able to share some things that I've buried so deep in my heart because I I didn't I didn't want anybody I, I think I buried them because I just couldn't cope with them. Um some things that that I'm not sharing today but things that happened that um kind of made me who I am and, and not in the greatest way. I mean, I think I've overcome them, but I think that they were just really hard things to go through. Um, intense devotions and prayer. So I don't have time. I wrote down a bunch of verses that really helped me, but I'll just say I would do like two-hour devotions every day. We had this room, like a, a spare bedroom in our house, and I would go in there with my Bible, which I found, um, my Bible that I used when I was a kid, and that's where I got the verses because they were all highlighted. And I would just sit there and journal and read these verses. I would mainly read the Psalms um, where it would say, like, my bones ache from the agony, from the, the sadness that I have, and I would just cry and pray over these, these verses And that was something that I still didn't feel God's presence. But I felt, I was told in one of my counseling sessions to just tell God how I felt. Because I was always raised, like, not with rote prayers, but you should be praising God for who he is. You should be thanking God for who he is. And it was right around this time that I started saying, like, God, I kind of hate you right now. And I don't understand why you're not here. 
and I don't understand why, if you love me so much, like, where are you? I feel empty, I feel sad, I feel like I can't take one step in front of the other. I take medication so that I can go to sleep, and then I take medication so I can wake up. I feel like I'm in a daze all day long. I don't understand. I mean, I, I, I hit a turning point where I just started yelling at God and crying and sobbing and saying, where are you? Like, if, if you're here, show me because I don't see it. And those moments kind of helped me and it kind of shaped where I'm at today where I can go to God and I can say, I still don't know where you are. I'm going to trust that you're there but right now I feel like our relationship is fragmented because why are you letting me go through this on a daily basis? I put something that helped me is time. It's not something that necessarily the church could do better, but I'll get to it when I I get to what made it worse. A lot of people, when you tell them your story, and and I get it because I do it too, I'm I'm a behavior therapist, so I go into homes to fix problems. And someone tells you a problem, and you want to say the perfect thing, you want to fix it. And most of the time, that's just not, you're never going to say the perfect thing, I can tell you that. I mean, unless someone in this room has gone through some of these things and somebody said something perfect to you, please let me know because no one said anything perfect to me. I think the things that helped me were, you know, when I finally told Bill my story and I thought he was just going to kind of freak out and he was just like, yeah, sometimes things suck. (laughs) I was like, oh. (laughs) Um, Just having someone there for you, just having someone say, What you're going through is awful. Even though I don't know how it feels, I'm going to be here with you. And that means a lot. Because if you try, if you don't know what you're talking about and you try to say, I know exactly how you feel. Yesterday I was really sad because, you know, I got a letter in the mail that I didn't like. And I would be like, great, we're so alike, you know? I think that, and I'm going to go into what made it worse, because a lot of the things that made it worse were the guilt. It was the guilt that I carried, and it was all the things that people said. So thoughts and prayers. I can't stand this one. Um, This happens a lot when I say, hey, I really really need you to be here for me. Like, I, I need... I need help with this. And I give some, somebody something concrete that they can help with. Um, this doesn't have to do with my anxiety and depression, but about five years ago, Bill and I, we had a, a kitchen fire. And we had the disaster cleaning crew come in for several weeks to clean everything up. And they got rid of all of our Christmas decorations because we had just put them up, and it was in December. And they said they're covered in soot and and you have to get rid of them and it was really hard and so i posted it on facebook and i didn't ask for help but several people had stepped up and given us a christmas tree and some ornaments and things like that and then other people would say thoughts and prayers and i was like 
I, I don't know where this is. You know, it reminds me of the verse in the Bible that says, if someone knocks on your door and asks you for a fish, and you have a fish, do you look at them and say, I'm praying for you, and close the door? And that verse, I never know references, but it's somewhere in the Bible. It resonates with me because telling someone you're, you're praying for them, prayer is powerful. But if, if you just kind of, you know, put it under this umbrella, like I'll be praying for you, it feels empty. I had a lot of people say, how is your walk with God? Because obviously something's wrong or you wouldn't be feeling this way. And I, I believed it for a really long time. And then I realized, I mean, I'm not saying my walk with God is perfect, but I'm saying that fixing my walk with God or volunteering more at church or praying more is not going to fix what's going on right now. Give it to God. Let it go. Get it together. I heard those things a lot. My dad would say let it go to me a lot. In a kind way, he would say, you know, sweetie, you've got to let this stuff go. And finally, a few years ago, I said, Dad, if I knew how to let it go, it wouldn't still be here. (laughs) I don't know. I've done, you know, the things at church where you have these things that you hold on to, and they're like, put it in a balloon and let it fly, or put it in here, and we're going to set it on fire, or, you know, put it in this box, and we're going to throw away the box. And the good feelings last for about 10 seconds, and then you're like, all right, it's, it's still here. Like, it did not float away with the balloon, people. It's still here. Um, so letting it go, especially when you have these deep, dark, horrible feelings, like, I'm still working through... I had a friend say, have you ever thought anything good about yourself? And I said, no, and I don't know how. Like, I don't know how to say good things about myself. And a lot of it comes from just the negative things that were said to me all my life and believing them. The Christian counselor made it worse. Like, need I say more? (laughs) Just because you're a Christian... You know, I used to think when someone would say that you're a Christian, like, great, that means you're a good person. And the last couple of years, I've thought, oh, you say you're a Christian. That probably means you're legalistic and think all about the rules. I believe that I'm a Christian, but I think that we see Christians nowadays as hypocritical and only thinking about themselves, and I think that that needs to change. So what could Christians in the church do better? And this is just my opinion. You know, everyone that's gone through depression and anxiety has their own story, and I'm not going to say that this is for everybody, and I'm not going to say that it's a one-size-fits-all, but I'm saying, you know, I had friends that that cut themselves and that had depression and were suicidal. And I can say that this fits a lot of people. So telling someone that their feelings are real and valid. 
even if you don't understand them. Um, I'm going to call Paul out for a minute because I had told him something. I think I told him about Liam's diagnosis. So he got a genetic diagnosis over the summer, which means he could very well be developmentally disabled for the rest of his life. And we got this, and everyone was just saying, you know, my grandma was like, do you feel better about this? Because God has this. You know that, right? And I looked at her, and I tried to put on a brave face, but I was like, no, I don't feel better about this. Like, I don't know whether my son, you know, people think about where your kids are going to go to college. I don't know if he's going to be able to brush his teeth. So no, I don't feel better about it. I gave it to God. It's still here. Nothing went away. So no, I don't, I don't feel better about it. And I went to Paul and I told him, and he goes, man, that sucks. And I was like, thank you. Like, yes, it really sucks. And all I wanted was for somebody to validate where I was at instead of trying to fix it or instead of trying to say, you know, God's all powerful and God has this, like, God can still have it and it can still suck at the same time. And I know that, you know, churches aren't this way. I, I won't say that. This church isn't. But don't hand me off to a woman just because I'm a woman. And tell, when you could, just, you could just say, I don't have any experience in this. Like Lauren told me one time, he said, or I think he said it up here in a few of his messages, I don't have experience in counseling, so I would love to hear people's stories and sit with them, but I'm probably going to end up referring them to someone that they can speak to because I don't have the experience. And I think that that's, that's an awesome thing to say. Instead of just thinking, well, I'm a pastor, so I can counsel anybody. Um, and, and don't do the whole men and women thing. I mean, I get what things that have happened in the church, but just because I feel comfortable talking with you doesn't mean I just feel comfortable talking with anyone. I said this before, but be there. Don't try to fix it, just be there. Um, I can't tell you how many times Bill has held me when I've been in the darkness while I just sob. And he doesn't say anything, and I just cry, and it feels good to have somebody he doesn't understand what I'm going through, but he just holds me and he tells me, he doesn't tell me that it's going to be okay either. He just says, I'm really sorry you're in this dark place right now. Don't use Christianese terminology. Um, I had a friend do this a few weeks ago with me where I had told them something and they said, maybe... You need to stop telling friends about this, and you need to give it to God. And I, I was just like, I finally have felt comfortable telling a friend about this, which is huge for me. And you're telling me to give it to God, which, you know, if one more person <laughs> tells me that. Um, and I called him out on it. The next day, I, I, I told him, I was like, that was really crummy of you to say because you're my friend and I feel like I should, if I feel comfortable telling you something, then you should just listen and not tell me that it's obvious I need to go to God instead of going to someone else. 
So I'm just going to end with where I'm at currently. Um, like I said, it's a work in progress, and this year has been one of the worst years ever. But it's also been incredibly open. I've been able to tell people about the things that I went through. I, I told a friend about some of the things that I went through with this person I met online and the horrible feelings I feel about myself and, and all of these things. And they were like, yeah, a lot of kids go through that. And it, it made me feel better because my whole life, I, I was told that like, I was evil. I was a horrible person for going through this, for not believing in God, for not um, saving myself for marriage, for not, like, I was just a horrible person. And so I've, I've come a long way, especially in the last few months. But when you come a long way, the things that you've buried for so long start to come out. And so I put in my notes, work in progress. <laughs> That's where I'm at. Like I said, I can't say it's a fairy tale ending. I can't say, you know, I gave it to God like everyone said, and, and it's a miracle. It's just all gone. I don't think I'll ever say that, but I can say with sincerity that the deepness of my feelings has caused me to, one, be able to help other people, which I'm just starting to do because I'm just starting to be able to share my story. And it's helped me understand other people better, and it's helped me understand myself better. So I just want to say as I end that as a church, just think about the fact that we can do better. We can surround people with love. It doesn't have to be depression and anxiety. It can be a divorce. It can be, it can be anything. And we can, even though we don't understand it, doesn't mean that we run away from it or we try to condemn it or we try to pass it on to somebody else. Even if you don't think that you can help, anyone in this room can just be there for someone in the moment. Hey, thanks for tuning in with us this week. You can check back for new messages each Tuesday. If you're in the Denver area, come see us this Sunday. You can find out more about our service times as well as the mission and vision of M.G. Thornton at mgthornton.org. That's M-G-T-H-O-R-N-T-O-N dot O-R-G. See you next week.